Curb Your Enthusiasm premiered on October 15th, 2000 on HBO. Let's put 29 minutes on the clock. Pilot study with Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows. But only the pilot episode. That means the first show. In case you didn't know. Well, you never know what show they're gonna talk about. But they're only gonna talk about the first one. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. My name is Chris Lantinen. I'm Grimes. This is Pilot Study, the show where we dissect first episodes of your favorite TV shows, or shows you've never heard of, or shows you've caught one episode of at 2 a.m. on syndication. We love talking about those first moments. We love that title talk. And, well, I think we're both pretty damn fond of Curb Your Enthusiasm, today's topic, but I don't know how you feel about the pilot. I know you're a longtime fan. You're a big Curb guy. Long time. Where would you put this pilot? Because, as we'll get to, I think you can slot this pilot in a lot of places, and it makes sense narratively, you know, except, like, really late when relationships change. Where Where would you slot this pilot in terms of, like, your standard Curb quality episode? I think it fits right in. I mean, the title alone is a, a catchphrase, which Larry David is famous for. Um, and yeah, like you said, you could drop it in pretty much at any time of the first three or four seasons, and it would just be an episode. It's not too piloty, but yet it works as a pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, no there's, surprise that Larry David knew what he was doing TV-wise. <laughs> there's some pilot moments, but... So do you think it's a, an above-average curbed episode, a below-average, or just kind of middle-of-the-road? I think it's a middle of the road. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, nothing, but not nothing, bad. nothing that you're going to like go to the office and tell people about and like and no, no. tell them that they have to watch and all that good stuff. Um, so let's dive right in. Title of this episode is The Pants Tent, as Grimes, you were alluding to. It is directed by Robert B. Weed, W E I D E, or Y D, Weed. Sure let's go with correct. Weed. Weed, correct pronunciation. <laughs> I think it's fine. Uh, he, oh, yeah. we'll just use he directs the mockumentary uh he directed the mockumentary before the show that we'll talk about in regard to the program's history and he ends up directing 28 episodes of curbed in 1998 he directed an oscar nominated documentary called lenny bruce swear to tell the truth which i have not seen have you seen this no i have not you don't really see many docs that would be oscar nominated about stand-up so uh, might be a might be an interesting thing to search out on the on the amazon instant service or drop three dollars to rent it or something like that yeah um, it might so, not be too bad uh one more person i want to mention the editor steve rash um editing this program is obviously a huge undertaking considering how much of the story building is done there and there's just so much variation i i would assume that an improv show is built in the editing room so i think he is important to point out he, he, he was involved in 62 of the 90 episodes and he also edited the uh hbo movie clear history that larry david did with john ham so have you and i like that movie by the way just quick note like I, I haven't seen it i feel like it's a post curb thing that i have to do because as i'll as i'm going to explain i am season six on curb so i'm not entirely nice. all the way through and I'm very much looking forward to the Seinfeld reunion season. Yeah, good arc there. Got pretty good reviews, right? 
Yeah, I think you you won't be disappointed. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm excited about that. It's kind of like the big season that I'm watching all these like cuz it's not like bad right now, but I think I've kind of passed I've I've passed like Crazy Eyes Kill uh, Crazy Eye Killer and like um obviously what's <laughs> what's the porn one with uh it's like the third episode of the series. It's a porn one with Bob Oh, Porno Gill. Yeah, Porno Gill. Like I've passed a lot of the landmark people talk about Curb and they talk about these episodes type of experiences. So I'm I'm just trying to get to the Seinfeld stuff. Yeah, it's great. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, so there was a a mockumentary before the series. If people do not know that, this was called Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm. So they would transfer the the subtitle to the title of the series. Uh, basically, it was Larry David wanting to get back into stand-up after Seinfeld. And Jeff Garland, who plays Jeff Green on the show, actually worked next door to Larry in real life. And so he asked Jeff Garland to direct this documentary on his experience in re-entering himself into the stand-up world. So Larry took this idea and basically built a curbed-like experience out of it. So it was a mockumentary, so there was, like, on-camera interviews, correct? Yes. Yeah. So he makes Jeff the manager, which, of course, is a role that's going to be transferred over. He casts uh, he casts Cheryl as the wife. Um, and, again, he turns it into that mockumentary. So it ends up being, like, the pseudo-pilot before the pilot. And I checked. It's not on HBO now, as far as I can tell. Could you find it anywhere? No, I couldn't find it. And it used to run on HBO, the the network, all the time. They would play it at like one in the morning most weekend nights. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, so I can't find it. So if anybody has like a, a link or anything they want to share with me or somewhere to buy, it, it might be just available to purchase. You know, um, I'll have to check Amazon yeah, maybe. While, while, while we're while we're chatting here. But it's um, probably on the season one DVDs too. I think if I yeah, recall. Yeah, yeah, that that could be it as well. But um, yeah, you know, and one thing I never really thought about with this show is just the title is kind of perfect for what's gonna follow. Like it's basically like the Larry Shrug. In title form, like right, you know, this idea right. Of... It could have also been called like "Lower Your Expectations." So. Right, right. This, this, there's this big name attached to it, but don't get super excited, like for him because he's going to be like kind of a despicable. Uh, not, I guess not really despicable, but a below-average human being. Like, curb your enthusiasm of what you should expect out of Larry David as a human yeah. on this show. So yeah, that Larry Shrug in title form, but uh, it is a great title. He nailed it. Let's let's do some title talk. So. Uh, the music, the music on this is kind of an interesting story. So I was listening to this Origins podcast, which James Andrew Miller does. He wrote the SNL book and he wrote the ESPN book. Um, so he's done some pretty big oral history type stuff. So he's doing these oral histories in podcast form now. And the first one he did was Curb Your Enthusiasm since it's coming back. And so the music that they play, Larry actually saw this music on a commercial uh, and had his assistant find it. And he kind of sees it mm. as like circus music or like him. He imagines himself as a circus performer, like trying to get out of trouble is how he explained it. So he hears it on this bank commercial, only saw the commercial once. And he just told his assistant to find it. And he said, I'm going to hold on to that. I think I'm going to use it someday. And his exact quote was, there's something circus-like about it. I like to get away with things comedically. And sometimes music helps with that tells the audience it, it tells the audience to not take this seriously so yeah kind of weird that he just saw it randomly on a commercial i thought it might be like an always sunny situation where it's like 
public it's domain. Cheap. <laughs> yeah, it's public yeah. domain. So like we're just gonna use it. But yeah, it's it was kind of cool that he saw it and actually had had to seek it out. A very simple intro, uh, just those yellow letters, music carrying over into the first scene. I tried to find the typography that they use, and the closest I could find is like uh, Clarendon. Um, and that was just from like a Reddit thread and then me kind of checking it out and trying to compare. But there's no, sometimes they'll have like title sequence explanations and I couldn't really find one on Curb. But the song itself. Yeah, I like the simplicity of it. Yeah, yeah, it's just very simple. The song itself was a piece written by an Italian composer t- or named uh, Luciano Michelini. And it was originally written for this Italian film, La Bellissima Estate. And uh, yeah. So it's this. It's basically just this Italian, this Italian. Film yeah, not song. very much of it either. <laughs> just like a little clip of the song, and you're yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, the the song itself is called Frolic. F R O L I C. So if anybody wants to look it up and hear hear the full version, um, it's nice that the first thing you see on this episode is Larry's crotch. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's great it's a nice little intro and i like how the music again do they always carry the music over yeah okay okay uh one more thing i wanted to mention about the history before we kind of go plot by plot uh cheryl was discovered at like an actress showcase that one of the one of the producers was going to or something and so she was just they were trying to cast larry's wife and kind of late in the process they just kind of stumbled across cheryl and so she was cast, and of course, Jeff Garland was just next door to him. And I can't remember the exact story on Susie, but she doesn't really play a huge part in the pilot anyways. No, not in the pilot. She has a lot of arcs, but not too much. Yeah, she doesn't do much. She's just kind of there in the pilot. And like Larry does things that upset her, but we don't get like the patent like Susie freak <clears throat> no. out. No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Uh, so I think that's all I have on history. Cheryl thought she was going to be... What's her full name? Cheryl Hines. Cheryl Hines. Yeah, Cheryl Hines thought she was going to be replaced when they went to series. She just thought it was going to be oh. this, this one-time thing and that they would just, you know, when they actually took it to a full series concept, she thought she was going to be re- be replaced, but then she, you know, luckily she was brought back. I think she's really great in this role. Yeah, she's amazing at it. She. She plays off of him so well. And it must be hard to improvise with, you know, people like that that good at it. Because I don't know that she has, like, a comedy background as much as acting. Yeah, I do wonder how that dynamic is. Because she is, like, I'm sure she's been in, like, the improv school. You know, she's gone through the programs and things like yeah, that. Yeah, they've and, all done some of it. And, he, and I think Larry is really the only one without, like, a clear improv background. He's a stand-up. He's a, he was a writer for us He's now. just lazy. Seinfeld. Yeah, he just doesn't want to write. He just wants to, you know, uh, he just wants to chat with people yeah. on camera, basically. <laughs> um, why don't you go over the plot? Give us a little plot breakdown and what we're dealing with here in the pants <laughs> tent. All right, so as Chris mentioned, um, we pick up the series with a image of Larry's crotch and a five inch bunch up in his corduroy <laughs> pants that he calls the pants tent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he discovers this uh, later inconveniently at the movies. But anyway, so I don't know how deep you want to get into the plot. There's all these little like weird well, stories, but why, why don't you set Cheryl, up? Larry's wife is trying to three get conflicts. him to go out with this friend of hers. They end up at the movies or he immediately insults someone, so you get that already right off the bat. <laughs> and he sits down with this friend of Cheryl's arm. The bunch-up appears. She thinks he got a direction. He did not. 
So that's the main story. And then the B story there is that the lady that he insults ended up being Richard Lewis's girlfriend and Richard Lewis's best friend in the show. And then the Jeff storyline is that Larry has him on the phone, or Jeff has Larry on speakerphone. Larry says, I have to ask Hitler, referring to Cheryl, which insults Jeff's older Jewish parents, obviously. Um, so those are the three, like, you know, acts of the pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, the, it, it, it's really, it's a good pilot because it establishes, like, the three different types of shit that Larry steps in. And yes. these are kind of the three categories, and there may be more. Again, I haven't watched the entire series, so there may be like a fourth category. But I see it as three categories in which Larry gets in trouble, and I can't really imagine a better opening ten minutes that would be better suited to the program's natural rhythms, because all three of those are really set up within that first, within those first ten minutes, and then everything else kind of drives right. towards that final confrontation like a lot of these shows and like Seinfeld often did was driving towards the these uh, this unlikely series of events that kind of pulls all three issues into one, you know, into one clusterfuck. So the right. first one I have is the social situation, which is like what's the correct way to act in a very specific situation. <laughs> so we have the theater seat, which we'll get to the theater seat in a second. We have the second one which I am referring to as the Larry is horny principle. So this is when Larry possibly or possibly is not horny in a certain situation. So Cha-Cha, uh, this woman, whoever, whatever you know, female, um, female character is being introduced for the plot. A couple, a couple times a season, the question is, is Larry like hitting on her? Is, did he do it on accident? Did he check her out? Like there's always like something right, to right. do with like something to do with his horniness level. <laughs> And uh, the third is the unintentional cruelty. And this is my favorite. So this is Larry making a joke, um, the Hitler joke in particular in this case, but it somehow causes like, it's, it either grows into a bigger insult or it's said at the incorrect time and, you know, causes this huge rift with somebody. So in this one, it's Larry makes a joke about Hitler, but somehow it insults a cousin that escaped Nazi Germany that the grandparents knew you're like some <laughs> convoluted like you know some convoluted situation in which an offhand comment causes you know great trouble so those are really the three and it's funny that all three are set up immediately with this yeah he also um gets himself into situations a lot with lying and we have that with like the uh, phone call to kathy griffin mm-hmm. and then he ends up seeing her at the restaurant so He's he and Jeff um, are constantly spinning these like elaborate <laughs> webs of lies, and then that, it all that often catches up to them as well. That that may be number four. We'll just call it the web of lies, or the or, yeah. or the white web, because it's like basically a web built out of white lies. You know, isn't that what they right. say? Like lies that you tell that you don't think are going to hurt anybody. Exactly, it's just like a dumb whatever, you know, yeah. easier than you just into it type you, of thing. You fib for like a reason that you like five minutes later you don't know why you lied. <laughs> yeah, you're like it would have been so much easier, but now it's too late and it's weird and I can't. Yeah, it's yeah that happens to me quite a bit in life as well. <laughs> um, you know what I really where I think where the magic of Curb really comes from is just this idea. It's it's the improv at its base, but like there's this moment. Um, later on where Cheryl and her friend 
like kind of like are sitting down with Larry and they want to clear the air about the erection. And of mm, course, yes. and of course, she believes that Larry got an erection, and you know he's yelling, "I know the source. I can name sources. If it happened, I'll <laughs> give you credit for it." Like he's trying to, he's trying to say that it's the pat, the pants tent. And there's this moment where like Cheryl kind of half laughs at Larry, and I think that's where the magic of an improv show and this show in particular comes from. Like, if it's a funny conversation, which is what they're having you can kind of like half laugh at it because the conversation would be humorous in real life. Like you don't have to adhere to the rules of dramatic television. Right. Like in or dra- laugh tracks. Yeah. Laugh tracks or like in dramatic TV, the laughs are like expertly telegraphed and they're, they're not, they're not signaled, but they're kind of like set up in the same way that like a twist would be set up or, you know, that like right, a dramatic, right. a dramatic moment would be set up. They're like, you know, these shows like Halt and Catch Fire, which is funny, or Mad Men. Like, these aren't people riffing. These are, like, you know, this really super talented writer's room coming up with, like, the perfect joke for that moment. And then there's characters like, you know, our favorite, Sheldon, or young Sheldon. I gotta, I gotta say both now. <laughs> where they say They're funny things. Awesome. Yeah, where they say <laughs> funny things, but nobody ever laughs on those shows. Like, nobody laughs at the... F- this apparently super funny jokes on the Big Bang Theory, and it's not like right, they'll just wait for the audience to stop laughing and then say their next dumb line. Right, like if your friends were that funny, <clears throat> like if you had this group of friends that was so hilarious that they could crush an entire room of people with laughter, then wouldn't you? <laughs> wouldn't you laugh at their jokes? You would, and Jeff is a big laugher in this show as well. Yeah, so I mean, these—it's just—it's nice. nice that the scenarios in which they set up, or the way in which the shows run, allows for laughs. And I—I I, I remember that Seinfeld used to do that as well. Like Jerry would laugh at Kramer, or jo- Jerry yeah. would laugh at George. Like they weren't fully dependent on the laugh track, and they'd have these conversations where people laughed at each other. And I think it's just amplified in improv when you don't know what exactly the person's going to, or what thread the person's going to follow or what about, you know, what from your lines they're going to latch onto and kind of try to explore. Like that's the magic to me of Curb is just Cheryl laughing and Cheryl smiling. Yeah. And that relationship, like, like we were mentioning kind of earlier that between her and Larry, it, it does make the show just, you know, when you nail casting like that, it makes it perfect almost. You can't imagine anyone else doing it. What works What works for you about that relationship in particular? Well, just that she doesn't take his crap and she doesn't care that he's rich and she doesn't, like, she treats him. I get the sense that in real life, you know, obviously he doesn't act like that. He said in interviews, this is the worst version of myself. This is what I would act like if I didn't have to follow the rules of society. And right, I think right. Cheryl's character then, she acts like, a wife of a regular schlub, how he thinks he is. Whereas in reality, he's like a quadrillionaire in Beverly Hills and probably has servants and who knows what, but like, I like that she treats him just like a regular jackass because that's how he acts regardless of the Seinfeld stuff and his famous friends and all that. She just, you're just the husband. You still have to like go shoe shopping and take out the garbage and do all these, you know, mundane chores and go around doing your like larry routine she she doesn't cut him a lot of slack like i'm sure people do in real life yeah so i like that quite a bit the chemistry is pretty immediate like you know one thing i discovered about the show and our research is that a lot of it's shot in order because the improv 
really determines where the storyline is going to go next or what part of the story mm. is going to be emphasized further within the plot lines. So you've kind of got to shoot it in order or else you could shoot a scene that's like the last scene and it's not really going to match up to the story that you kind of built organically throughout yeah. the process. So like, yeah, if the improv doesn't get you there, it looks stupid. Yeah, so the idea of like them shooting that bedroom scene like where he's talking about the pants tent like immediately into filming that's very impressive that their chemistry is that sewn up immediately and i think that's a benefit of gathering a cast before the show and having like some kind of program beforehand we talked about this with um flight of the concords and the fact that they did the audio the audio uh, mockumentary, the radio mockumentary. Yeah, the BBC thing, yeah. And then they did the specials, and they did, and they were, you know, bandmates, and they just had this chemistry that you you don't have to wait until episode 10 for everybody to start clicking with each other. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's there. They already did the they already did the pre-documentary or the mockumentary, and they already had these scenes together, and they already knew each other's rhythms, and you can, you can tell that. Look at this. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, what's yeah. going on? What's what going is on? going on? It's just material. Yeah, I know, but but really, look at these pants. I've seen pants bunch up. I have before, never yes. seen a bunch up like this in my life. I this have. is like a five inch bunch up I got here. Well, you don't have to play with it. Is it a bad thing? <laughs> Maybe it's not such a bad thing, you know? Oh, because you is want it, people to think that I you constantly have an erection. Is it a bad thing for men to walk around like <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, huh? it is. I got a tent. It's a big one. Oh, just definitely, yeah. And I didn't even know about all the improv stuff until I already watched the series in its original run. I didn't even know what improv was, so. Right. Um, yeah, like yeah, I just thought it was an awesome show. I imagined it was made the same way they made Seinfeld, which it definitely was not. But. It, do- it doesn't feel feel like improv and i think one of the major reasons that's when it's good (laughs) yeah that's when it's good i mean i think one of the major reasons is because they have this well the league was the same way the league and well the league feels a little more improv-y to me i don't know if they're just yeah and it's less it's less sophisticated too so it doesn't come off as like well done maybe as curves improv if that makes sense well, in, in the not league, that it's bad, it's just not as like artistically peak mm-hmm. hitting those levels week after week like Curb. And it seems like the league in particular, like in, in particular for the earlier seasons, they had like a lot of bar setups, you know, like five people yeah. around a table, everybody, everybody's involved, everybody can cover it's for each shit other. Talking. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. shit. It's kind of shit talky. Here, it's like two shots. You know, it's like two people at a time. Again, building that plot line, it just doesn't seem like a lot of group work, uh, a lot of group work, which I I typically associate with improv and building a show that way. But I don't know. Yeah, they don't come off as an improv team. It's very like, strange that the league was improv. Like every time I think about that, I'm like, really? Why, right. why didn't they why just, just why didn't they just write, write that show? <laughs> right. There's no benefit to improving there, I guess. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I'm not sure. It's just a, it's a strange that show. That show is a, a strange beast. Let's just put it that they way. They got the Louis deal. They were like, "Listen, we're improv only. We don't we do what we want or we walk." I guess yeah. They probably just wanted a. They just thought, or the pitch was, think curbed fantasy fantasy football, smash them together. Right. Um, uh, let's see what else do we got here. I mean, we I have a bunch of I have a bunch of. Uh, 
random notes, but I'm trying to see if there's any other major threads that we want to follow here. Like uh, We covered plot pretty well. Yeah, I mean, basically it wraps up like a lot of Seinfeld episodes would wrap up or like a lot of future Curbed episodes would wrap up. So we have the Hitler thing. We have the pants tent with the friend, which that wraps up like middle middle of the episode. And then we have um, the lie that they told about Kathy Griffin. And then we have Larry. What you did mention is that Larry fights with... He fights with this woman at the theater because she doesn't move properly when he's trying to get by. And it's, it ends up being Richard, one right. of, one of Richard Lewis's many girlfriends. Ridiculously good-looking girlfriends <laughs> that would never date him in real life. That's his thing, yeah. He That's a Seinfeld that. trait, too. I mean, Richard Lewis is kind heavy. of the Jerry Seinfeld of this show. I never thought about that. He's like, he's the stand Yeah, he totally is, though. And he is, yep. like, kind of neurotic. And he always has, like, a new girlfriend and Larry's friend yeah yeah he's Larry's friend hmm. look at that uh let's do so everything comes together at the end and Cheryl realizes that Larry had lied to her about you know the the Jeff Larry lie comes out that whole thread and um they're all kind of packed in at this awkward awkward dinner and of course Richard and his new girlfriend have the table for four that they were that they, they were supposed to get right uh, they had a table for four, not two. We can't sit to two and a four. <laughs> yeah, but the, isn't the joke that Richard Lewis was famous enough to get to sit two at the four, but Larry was not? Yes, which is not real. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Larry uh, gets to the restaurant. You know. They won't sit. They won't sit two people at a reservation of four, but Richard Lewis gets to sit there, and that's basically how it wraps up. Let's uh, let's move into some random notes. What do you what do you got for me on lines and? Well, the first uh, random note noticed. is. Yeah, the first one is something you mentioned here is that, like, one of the piloty things is that they mentioned, like, Larry David, creator of Seinfeld, yeah. like, in the episode, just in case someone was tuning into HBO to watch his show and had no clue who he was, which, I mean, that's that's likely to happen. You never know. Yeah, it's That was kind of smart. But, yeah, the lines, I mean, it's so much, like, with Seinfeld and just Larry David's general vibe, almost every line of dialogue includes a catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Or somebody saying this is a thing. You know, everything in Seinfeld was a thing. The close talker, this, that, the pants tent, um, five-inch bunch up. It's just like having watched the series three times now, I think, you just really pick up on that stuff and how some weeks they were really good ones and a few stuck here and there in society, but not always. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. They kind of do catchphrase speak at times. And again, it's even more impressive that they're doing this on the fly. It's just kind of incredible. It is. It really is. So do do we have any? What do you got for randomness? Um, Well, I I have some of those lines like a leisurely dinner. Yeah. I thought was a funny one. Don't ever put me on speakerphone in the car. I think I'm in love, and I think you ruined it for me. That, that, <laughs> yeah. that Richard Lewis line, and then Richard Larry, is the best. And then Larry responding with congrats, really congratulations on the intercourse. <laughs> yeah, they call it intercourse all the time throughout this series, which I think is odd. <laughs> what are you looking at me like that for? Because I've never been married, and I think I'm in love, and I think you might have ruined this for me. Come on, ruined it. If I did, I did you a favor. I'll have to ask Hitler. Obviously, was the one that Larry gets in trouble for eventually. Uh oh yeah one little piece of clunky pilot dialogue that uh you know we have the Seinfeld line where he's like tell him you know they're trying to get the table basically and Cheryl says to tell him tell her tell the tell the server that you invented Seinfeld so that's for the uninitiated like if you don't if you don't know that he's the Seinfeld guy 
now you know in the pilot. But the other one no. was Jeff saying, I'm your manager. <laughs> I'm your manager. I'm always oh, available. Yeah. Like that was a little clunky yeah. pilot dialogue. I mean, we could have got through context clues that eventually that Jeff was the manager. He could have just been a friend or they could have used the lines about the parents asking Jeff to drop him. You know, that could have been, they could have indicated the management through, through that interaction. I don't think they needed to say it out loud. That's really the only time they get into like pilot speak though. You know, right. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. No, no, I don't think so either. I love the scene where Larry has to apologize just for such a long time to the parents and like the idea that they just kind of don't let it go. Like we've all had, we've all had to like apologize or we have arguments with people that just don't let things go. And the, these parents oh, are yeah. like the perfect example of that. Like he's Larry's trying so hard to be so nice to them, and they just keep you like you have to pull yourself together. Like just yeah, not saying just giving them advice and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a pretty good section. Yeah, it's you know the the four for two was really funny to me. Uh, Larry asking again, falling into the unintentional cruelty section of Larry's sins is the him asking when the parents are going to go back, like just very innocently, you know. But obviously, everybody else can see why that would be like a rude thing to say at dinner. Like, when are you leaving? <laughs> yeah, when are you out of here? <laughs> One of my favorite moments was when uh, Richard and Larry are having that argument about I think I'm in love and I think you ruined it for me. And Richard's like. <laughs> Our relationship's at stake. You better call me by sundown. He's like, yeah. who are you, Gary Cooper? He's like, sundown. Just keep saying it. I thought that was really funny. That was good. And I also like that, again, they're able to establish Larry and Richard's relationship without, again, that pilot speak. They're, I think Richard says something like, we have enough in the tank to like get over this. He doesn't even have to say that we've had a lot of experiences or that we've known each other for so long. All he has to say is we have, we have enough in the tank which is kind of like a fun, different way of saying the things that pilots usually say, you know? So that, like, we've been that was friends a nice since choice. college, remember? And then they do like yeah. a flashback. Yeah, so I'm sure there's a take where he does say something like that, but I'm glad that they used this one that's a little more subtle and a little more um, re- rewarding in the long run because they really do have a lot in the tank and they continually add to what is kind of like a demented, weird friendship. Yeah, I love watching the friendship progress over the, the course of the series. It's I'm, really fun. I'm very glad that he's in the new episodes and that he's he was in that trailer and everything. Also, need Richard. I know people have probably said this a million times before, but Larry David has, he looks the exact same. It's been 17 years and like, I feel like the closer you get to death, and I'm not saying like Larry David's going to die tomorrow, but the closer you get to death, I feel like the aging process speeds up like, in terms of in terms of like physical appearance and it's just it's incredible to me that larry david looks the same in this episode as he does in the in the previews for the new season he's like it is odd he's been 70 for like 17 years yeah that's why he's good at playing bernie though because so has (laughs) bernie sanders like that guy's looked the same for 20 years well let's so let's look up bernie sanders too i I really i need to see what he looks like in 2000 i'm i'm i want to know if it's like basically the same yeah, yeah, maybe I'm wrong there, but uh, it's close. No, no, it's, it's got to be close. It's pretty close. <laughs> like he hasn't aged very much either. He's got like a little bit more hair, but yeah, he looks basically the same. That's that's funny. Um, in the in the '90s, he's got a real crazy hairdo going on. <laughs> Didn't so, we all? Well, so, not you. You were a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I had like uh, the little bowl cut probably. So in terms of movie decorum, I can't remember what his girlfriend's name is because I, sh- I think this is literally... Cha-cha? No, Cha-Cha comes later on. Cha-Cha is the one that... Uh, in one episode is sitting. Oh yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Sitting no, by the bathroom, the... yeah. Um, so movie decorum. How like when somebody wants to move in, do you stand? Do you move your legs? What do you do? Oh, and also she's Richard's girlfriend on IMDb, so I'm not just being sexist. <laughs> she <laughs> she literally doesn't have a name. <laughs> wow. Well, um, I stand as I do at stadiums and concerts, wherever I am. I try to just stand and get as far back as I can and give people the space they require. Yeah, it depends on what kind of mood and it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. And it depends on how many times they've passed. I think like at third pass, this is a very Larry David take, but I think like third pass, you only get the legs. You get the leg move because then you're being passive aggressive about it. It's like, how many times do you really need to get up during a two hour movie? Like first time I'll stand up unless the movie started. If the movie started, I never stand up. But first time, if it's in the previews, I'll stand up, let them pass. Well, because if you stand up, you're going to block the person behind you and you're just causing more issues. So so I, I move the legs after the movie starts. But if you've done it multiple times, first off, you should never have to get up multiple times. But if you do get a pee or something then I, I just move my legs to the side and i'm pretty flexible so i can give them proper amount of space and then you also don't get like the because some people when they do it they won't face the screen they'll like face you you know yeah awkward same with airplanes i'm like come on don't look me in the eye when yes. we're rubbing up against each <laughs> so other man like, that's they'll weird like walk past you and like your crotches are like two inches apart and they'll look you like they'll you'll have like yeah, that like- moment are we at a school dance right now? Just keep it moving, man. <laughs> I love, I love yeah, this line. Gross. I love this line. Um, she's, or I think it's, it's a Cheryl's friend that's like, she's sitting on the aisle. Like it's like if you're sitting on the aisle, all of a sudden, like there's a different, there's like a different decorum that you have to uptake. <laughs> you got to pay attention. And also, theaters are way bigger now, obviously, than that one. I, I get why they picked the small, tight squeeze for the plot, but it's, they're just like it's not that much. They're just like airplanes, though. They try to squeeze so many people in there that you yeah. can't you can't just pass in front of somebody and have them not have to get up. That's the problem. Airplane. They really should do, like, again, they want to fit as many seats as possible, but they should have three aisles, one in the middle. I, I agree. That, that makes sense. I think I think it makes sense. Yeah, they want one going straight up the middle. That's what, that's what I would recommend. Uh, let's see. Any other random notes? Yeah, Richard and Larry's chemistry is great. They've known each other for years. I think the story goes that they actually attended like the same summer camp back in the day, but they didn't meet there. They just kind of knew of each other, and then they linked up, of course, years later in the comedy community. And so, like, they're again fully formed. Him and Cheryl fully formed. Him and Jeff friends. Yeah. Him and Richard friends. Like everybody that comes into this, you, you would have to imagine that they even knew like Kathy Griffin. Griffin is it Griffin or Griffin? Yeah uh griffin griffin and so like you have to know that you have to assume that they bring her in the pilot they know her so everybody knows each other and that's again that's what makes the show so that's what makes it just like great from the pilot you know they can right. just pick up it and feels have real this great episode and they don't have to again have too much of the piloty stuff and they've already had experience on camera with each other and so i think that's a big part of why this works do you think cheryl has a good 
like because you know you often have the wife the wife character and she's just kind of like picking up after the husband especially if he's a dummy do you think she falls into that category here or i mean at first yeah i do i think they don't give her a lot of she's like a wet blanket a little bit yeah i don't think they give her a lot of hefty stuff in season one she's always kind of of you know the foil to Larry's plan of whatever getting over on people or whatever he's trying to do she's kind of like oh Larry that's bad or what you know but she gets an awesome role later on as it goes and you probably have already started to see yeah. how it gets better for her so yeah it definitely gets better for her and no um, spoilers you but... know when she dies no I'm just kidding <laughs> right when Larry uh, stabs her in the face at a dinner party. Yeah. Uh, last last random note. The restaurant owner of Mama's Boy. Is that what the restaurant's called? Mama's Boy, I yes. think. Yep. I felt like I had seen him before. I think he reminds me of like some general from The Matrix. But then I actually looked up his IMDb. And I swear I know him from the little Bow Wow vehicle, Like Mike. Where he gets uh, Michael like Jordan. Mike, where he gets the shoes. Yeah, Michael Jordan's shoes, and then he plays in the NBA. So I'm pretty sure I knew him from that, <laughs> weirdly enough. So, one last thing. Larry David said on this Origins podcast, he said, When people told me after the show started airing that they had to leave the room for some scenes because they were cringing and they couldn't bear to watch it, he, he, he said, Ha ha! And he sounded delighted. Uh, he, had, <laughs> he said, I had no idea it was having that effect on people. And I liked it. There you go. That's what Larry thinks. I'm happy of, to hear that. That's what Larry thinks of your cringe comedy, you haters. <laughs> that's right. Any other curb notes? I know. Uh, again, I know this is kind of like a, a cornerstone show for you. And I'm curious as to just anything else you want to say or bring up. Well, I do like that uh, Jeff throughout the series become is sort of Larry's scumbag friend. Yeah, he becomes and scummier that- and scummier. And I feel that everyone has one of those, and I just want to ask you on the record, am I your scumbag friend? <laughs> I think I am. I think I'm the guy where you're like, well, I don't know a guy, but I definitely know this guy uh... who will know a guy. Am I your conduit to like the underbelly, the way Jeff is to Larry? Because you are like normal, normal, regular life, but not, not Grimes, man. I wouldn't say you're like my scumbag friend. I think that's pretty harsh. Am like... I like your Jeff tier Larry? scumbag's like not a good word for it you're you're definitely a different camp than the rest of my friends you're kind of of (laughs) like the oh man this is tough you're asking me to classify our friendship on air and i don't really have a word for it. on air man i've just put you totally on blast with it you're you're like um the daring friend you know you do you you do things and activities that my other friends would not do I'll say that. Yeah, that makes sense. You're, you're, Not always scummy. You're my you're my felon friend. Got it. Is that is that better or worse than scumbag? That makes sense. <laughs> uh, I, I'll take either one. I mean, okay. I brought it up, so. All right, I like felon. I think that's good. Not felon in like the hardcore way, but you would you know little crimes, just little ones. And one, <laughs> right? Like little white crimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and the only other thing missing from this pilot, Funkhauser. I love Funkhauser, man. Funk he Houser's is one of my favorite TV characters ever. I'm very partial to um, Ted Danson um, as well. Ah, uh, Danson comes in hard too later. He shows yeah. up pretty. I mean, Danson has so many good TV roles, it's hard to like rank them. But if I had to, obviously, Cheers is number one and Curb is number two. And then I would I would actually put his uh, stint on Fargo at number three. 
He has this, wow. he has a good season arc on Fargo, and then I'd probably go the Good Place number four. He's really he's great in the Good Place. He's um, I'm surprised. I like yeah, I'd be surprised if he doesn't get a little bit of Emmy buzz. And then I guess I'd throw Becker in there, you know, just because I'm Becker, just because no. hey. I mean, I've never like I haven't really dug into Becker, but oh, no, no. Bored to death has to be in there, too. Yeah, Bored to death uh, is better than Becker. And so the good, good and bored to death. Fuck. Well, let me just give you my my level of knowledge on Becker. I, did, I, I forgot that he was a doctor. In Becker. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, he was a doctor. Because <laughs> I'm looking at like his credits and I see Dr. John Becker and I'm like, oh, I kind of forgot about that. So I've obviously Dance seen Dance. only a couple of Becker episodes. I mean, he's got to be one of the greatest sitcom actors of all time, right? He's got to oh, be number sure. one or two. He's up there. I mean, who's better? He's he had hits. He's got like know. Seinfeld. Seinfeld's a great show, but that's it for Jerry Seinfeld. Danson has like four of those. I know it's incredible. I don't even, I, you know, I really don't know who would rank. Yeah, Larry David has two. You know, he's he's half of Seinfeld anyway, so he's already above Jerry. Who else is in Cheers that doesn't have any carryover? Nobody crazy there. Frazier, that dude, Kelsey Grammer, he's pretty baller. I mean, Danson's the first ballot Hall of Famer, obviously in the sitcom Hall of Fame, but I think he might just be the best. He might be the best. We might, yeah. He might he, be. Dang. He was nominated nine times for Cheers. <laughs> nine Out of times. nine seasons, oh, I'm guessing. No. I think he's got to be second, Julia. Oh, Julia. She I th- is I think comedy gold. I think she's got to be. Uh, just from like an award standpoint, I'm pretty sure she has. She's uh, never had a dud. It looks like she. It says forty, or it says forty-seven <laughs> wins, but that's one, two, three, wow. four. Five. I mean, she's won six just for Veep, so so that's pretty crazy. Or four, yeah, excuse she's me. Better. Four Emmys just for. And Veep. think about this: they're both in Curb. I know, amazing. Oh, and she also okay. Julia is the best because she won three Emmys, Outstanding Lead Actress for three different shows. She won for Seinfeld, that's crazy. New Adventures of Old Christine, which I never watched an episode of, and of course Veep. Wasn't horrible. Wasn't horrible. She's got an Emmy for it. So Not going to say it was probably, good. She probably doesn't care. <laughs> right. Um, one. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think she probably would agree that it's not quite at the Seinfeld curb Veep level of television. It, it doesn't is, mean it's terrible. It's not her peak, but uh, yeah, right, right. It's still three. Emmys still Emmy worthy for three different shows, which is crazy. Oh, so I pulled one review. And this is from a backyard newspaper in our in our neck of the woods, the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. And this is actually like the only one I can find of the pilot. And um, Barbara Vincheri says, if you park your remote at curb, you will find L.A. stories that are reminiscent of Seinfeld, but not as funny. Then again, what is she was not high on curb and the pilot. Wrong. Wrong. Barbara. <laughs> I have to respectfully disagree with you, ma'am, and Barbara, say that curb. you blew it. Curb is what Seinfeld would have been were it on HBO. Like better, more money, more like crazy shit. Like, yeah, but if you I just think... if you just saw the pilot and you knew that he was coming from Seinfeld, would you would you still have that viewpoint? I mean, the pilot's not that impressive. True. Yeah, judging solely off the pilot because f all the other episodes. Yeah, if you were coming in and you had to review like this one or the first three, I, think, I think she, yeah. I think she had the first three or something. I think you would see Curb as kind of like not middle of the road, but 
something that has potential but isn't quite there. Same as Seinfeld, I guess. Yeah. Uh, as always, we're going to leave you with a preview of next week's episode. And of course, thank you, Grimes, for joining me on this uh, Sunday night. Thank you, sir, and I'm glad we did this show. It's a classic, classic show. This is episode 60. We're 60 episodes deep on this. If you have not told your friends, your, your TV-loving friends about our obsessive pilot study episodes where we do 40% of the episode on history and the other 60% um, basically talking about, uh, let's see, what title talk. We did, we, we did title talk. We, uh, we didn't do yeah. looking at, oh, <laughs> we got to do looking at lenses. <laughs> we got to do looking at lenses. Let's bring up Larry, David's, Larry David's glasses. I'll, I'll think of the ratings. Um, let's say on a scale of... Susie's role in the pilot or no excuse me on a scale <laughs> of Funkhauser being absent from the pilot which would be a 1 to Susie's greatest freak out which would be a 10 where does Larry's glasses line up I think that they definitely are Susie's greatest freak out like the, <laughs> the glasses like you can do I hate to keep making the Bernie comparison and just SNL, but there are pictures of Curb like marketing materials that are just like his hair and his glasses, and you can tell it's him. Right. No, no, they're distinctive. So the glasses seal it, and you know he talks about him all the time. He's like one of those guys, like oh my glasses, like Woody Allen esque. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think yeah, it's crazy. There is real Larry David is Larry David is the Woody Allen if Woody Allen um, didn't happen to also do terrible things, basically. Right. right. <laughs> He's a clean Woody Allen. Yeah. So, uh, what's interesting about Larry David's glasses is there's like obviously the glasses part, but then there's no rim that goes over the nose. It goes like above the nose, like kind of like closer yeah. to the brow. It's a very unique design that I don't see a ton. Like, cause I wear glasses, so I'll be in like the eye doctors looking at them. I don't see that that pair often. And he and he hasn't always, cause no. cause I'm looking at this really super old picture of him with like an afro, and he's already going bald up top, and he's got like the nose glasses. So he, this is definitely a later in life um, switch, but very. Very interesting structure. Very interesting structure. All right, let's really wrap it up this time. Again, if you have any TV-loving friends that aren't listening to Pilot Study, let them know that we dissect glasses better than any TV podcast uh, program out there. So much better. Grimes, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And again, a preview of next week's episode. Thank you. You're married? Sort of. Oh, are you going through a divorce? No, uh, she was abducted by aliens. Sweetie? Okay, Sorry. I know what you're thinking. Crazy. You never know what show they're gonna talk about, but they're only gonna talk about the first one. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Oh.